Well, for a completely different switch, grinding the gears, on November 1st, the sixth Terminator movie is going to be coming out. Yeah, how's that for a transition, huh? So, so the sixth Terminator movie's coming out. Now, if you're not super familiar with a Terminator series of movies, there's, there's you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and, and it's this, this future war, which actually, I don't, we may have passed what the original date was, I don't know, um, but where there's this war between people and between machines, between these robots, and Arnold Schwarzenegger plays this cyborg, or as he says in the second one, he is a cybernetic organism, and so he is from the future, and in the first one, he is sent to kill Sarah Connor because he is going to try and win the war before it even starts, and then in the second one, spoiler alert, it came out in 91, so deal with it. Um, so he sent then a different one. It's, it's Arnold, but he's playing a different cybernetic organism, and he has come to save John Connor, who is then going to help deliver the people and win the war against the machines. Now, like um, a lot of people, I skipped pretty much, you know, three through five on, on the Terminator movies. Terminator 1 was the best one. Terminator 2 was the best one. Terminator 1 was great, but Terminator 2, I mean, it was, I was like 14, 15 years old, so it was like right in my wheelhouse. Um, but I loved Terminator 2. There were the classic cheesy lines that are within it, you know. I mean, I'll be back was in the first one and then throughout, and then of course, you know, hasta la vista, baby, and just all the, the terrible Arnold Schwarzenegger lines. Um, but one of the best scenes in that movie is when John Connor, who is like 13 years old, realizes that he has this robot, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who has to do whatever he says. And so, so he's talking to him, and he has him like stand on one leg and do all these ridiculous things. And then he ends up having these two like meathead guys come over to him, and they have this confrontation with these two guys, and it, it, well, it doesn't go very well. So let's watch um, about a 50-second clip from that movie. So I, I apologize for the kind of rough edit that was in the middle there, because he broke the, the fourth commandment, or the third commandment, whichever one it is, don't take the Lord's name in vain. So sorry for the rough edit that was in there. But he has this conversation with him. He says, you can't just go around killing people. Why, the Terminator says. What do you mean, why? Because you can't. Why? Because you just can't, okay? Trust me on this. Now, 13-year-old John Connor, like many of us, couldn't really explain why, but just everyone knows that you can't go around killing people. Um, on Wednesday nights, we've been studying various world religions, and this past week, we talked about the occult, and it was, it was creepy and it was weird, and one of the churches that we talked about churches, religions, whatever you want to call it, um, one of the groups that we talked about was the, um, we talked about Luciferianisms, but we also talked about, where is it, the Church of Lucifer, okay? And these are people who literally worship demons and try and call upon demons to help them out. And even people from the Church of Lucifer go, well, you can't just go around killing people. So it's this thing that, that everybody just knows you cannot do this. You cannot go around and murder people. Now, if we try to say, okay, well, well, why? What, what is the core reason? If you were to talk to 100 people and you say, okay, I know that murder is wrong, but, but why is murder wrong? My guess is give them a few minutes and probably 90 of them are going to go something along, I don't know, uh, because thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. No matter whether they know the other nine commandments or not, pretty much everybody's going to know thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not murder. 
which of course comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, which we have been reading in here. And it's actually one of the shortest verses in the Bible, because in the Hebrew, it's actually only two words, no murder, and that's it. So that's it for the sermon, let's pray. Um, now, there's, there's a bit more that's going on there. Um, so so it's, it's in the Ten Commandments, but actually the, the truth is people have known from the very beginning that murder is wrong, okay? So let's think all the way back to Cain and Abel, okay? So you have the first murder in history is in Genesis chapter four, verse eight through 14, and I just realized that I didn't bring my Bible, and I'm gonna, good, I can read it up there. So it says, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. So this is the son, these are the sons of Adam, Adam and Eve, okay? So the like, first kids who were born. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Go to the next slide. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. So if you remember what kind of led up to this, what led to Cain killing Abel was this sibling rivalry, was this jealousy between these two brothers. So, so Cain takes him out and, and, he, and he murders his brother Abel. And then God asks Cain, he says, hey, where's, where's your brother? What, what's happened to him? And his answer is, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? So Cain knew that he had done something wrong. You know, it's not like God said, where's your brother? And he's like, oh, I murdered him, we're good. No, he knew that he had done something wrong. He lied to cover it up. I don't know where he is. Am I supposed to be keeping track of him? And then God says, now here is your punishment. And he says, I'm gonna drive you from this land. And Cain is not very happy about his punishment. But he's not happy saying like, well, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to kill him. No, he's saying, no, this is too much for me. Your punishment is too much for me. Someone out there is going to do what? Someone's gonna kill me. Murder is wrong, you can't do that. So from the very beginning, Cain knew that murder was wrong. People knew that murder was wrong. See, basic human nature tells us that. We have this, this desire to, to preserve our own lives, and then in turn, logic kinda tells us that we also should be preserving and not taking the lives of other people as well. but think about that idea of human nature. Where does human nature come from? Human nature does not come by just random chance. We have this nature built in because it is how God created us to be. Human nature is how God created us to be. Genesis 1.27 says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, God designed us and placed his image on us. Although sin has infected God's creation, sin has taken this good nature that he has given to us and it has corrupted us, there is still that nature within us there. People still do horrible things, but there is this basic moral sense, whether people read the Bible or not. 
It's this idea of uh, something called uh, uh, common grace. So God has given us grace. God has, has chosen to save us and he has given certain people certain things but there is this common grace that whether you believe in him or not, there are certain things that God has given to us and one of those things that God has given to us as people created in his image is this sense of morality. It is sometimes, well, it is always flawed, it is always twisted in some way, but there is still this basic premise that God has given to us. So when people have this sense, part of why we have a hard time saying, well, why do we know that murder is wrong? Because we just know, well, that's how God created us to be. But Genesis 1.27 and being created in the image of God also has a converse side to it as well. So as someone who is created in the image of God, I know that murder is wrong but who else has been created in the image of God is the other person as well. So when I look at this other person and I decide to take their life, I am destroying the image of God in that person. That is a person who was created by God. That is a person who is loved by God. Even the people that I don't like, even the people who have wronged me. Even the people our society has said that is a worthless person. They're less valuable, they are less human. They are someone created in the image of God and that is a life which we are called to protect. Now it seems rather unnecessary. Now in my notes I said it seems rather unnecessary to spend five minutes, but we spent more than five minutes. It seems rather odd to spend this much time defending the claim that murder is morally wrong. But as Christians, it's something that we need to do. It's important for us to think about, okay, what do I believe and why do I believe it? And not just based on, well, I believe it because that's how I feel. And not just based on it's immoral because our culture has told us that it is immoral because those things shift. My feelings will shift. The world's understanding of what is moral or not will shift. We need to base our morality, we need to base our understanding of right and wrong upon God's authoritative word. Well, there are many other passages we can go on and on talking about this concept of why murder is wrong, but the overarching, most important concept here is that life belongs to God. It is all a gift of God. A few passages. Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to me. And then Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, if you look at the New Living Translation, the New Living Translation doesn't just say we are his workmanship, it says that we are his masterpiece. No matter how you may feel about yourself, no matter what other people or life circumstances may falsely assert, human life is God's masterpiece. You, personally, are God's masterpiece. You look around the world, you see amazing things. You see Yosemite Falls, you see a beautiful sunset, you see the changing leaves in the fall, and they all reflect the creativity and the goodness of God. But God poured his very nature into you and me. 
To take a life is to destroy the beautiful and masterful work of God. Well, as we've been working through these 10 commandments, um, we've come across some that have been a little tougher. You know, we think, okay, 10 commandments, pretty straightforward, we can follow those, and there's some which are a little challenging, but there's a few of them that have stood out. For example, God actually expects us to honor the Sabbath. Taking the Lord's name in vain is more than just not saying, oh my God. But then we come to the sixth commandment, right? We come to thou shalt not murder. And I'm guessing for pretty much everyone in this room, unless there's some hidden secret I don't know about, we can all say, no, I have not murdered anyone. And we can feel good that we're being faithful to God. But then comes the Sermon on the Mount. So you have these Pharisees, some of the Pharisees and some other folks who are looking at Jesus and they're going, Jesus, you're a lawbreaker. Not only are you breaking the law, not only do you not care about the law, but you're teaching other people to do the same thing. But as we've talked about, I think pretty much each week as we've been looking at the Sermon, as we've been looking at the Ten Commandments and then therefore the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus started off by saying, I have not come to abolish the law, but to do what? To fulfill it. Jesus came to bring us back to the original intention of God's word, to the original intention of God's law, to move us beyond loophole-inducing legalism and is a deeper heart change and faithfulness to God. So listen to what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 21 to 22. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Now the rest of it, you know, the rest of the Ten Commandments are, are, are pretty straightforward. Um, no matter what translation you use, whether it's thou shalt not murder or you shall not murder, most of them, there's not a whole lot of change. But you look at how Matthew 5, 21 to 22 was translated, there's a number of different ways that people take these two concepts together. The first one is when it says, um, if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. The word that, this, so this is the New Living Translation that we did here. Um, the word that they translate as idiot comes from the Aramaic, the word raka. Now a raka is this term of contempt, but it is someone where you look at them, you would spit upon them. Someone you view as utterly worthless. You view them with contempt. The next verse, we see this idea of cursing someone. Another would say that you are calling them a fool. Now this isn't just using bad words with somebody. This isn't just calling them names. It is condemning their character. So if you put these two verses together, verse 21 and 22 together, we get something to the effect of you're a worthless idiot and a horrible person. Does this sound familiar at all? not only on cable news and social media these days, but sometimes festering within our own hearts, sometimes coming out of our own mouths. Contempt and loathing. 
This idea is nothing new. It's been around for a long time. It's just that right now in our current cultural climate, and now that we have this great technological ability to spread and receive and disseminate all of these various opinions, we have greater opportunity to develop and disseminate contempt. In fulfilling the sixth commandment, Jesus takes the concept of you shall not murder to a much deeper heart issue. He also takes it to a very personal level. So if my response, if I look at this and I go, okay, you know, calling someone an idiot and calling someone worthless and saying your opinion is is invalid and you are a horrible person, if I look at that and go, man, does that reflect, even if I don't say that, does that reflect what sometimes is happening in my heart? And if I look at that and I go, yeah, I probably fall into that sometimes. But then I just go right back into it the next time someone gets under my skin. There's a problem. And it's not just, you know, Jeff, you should really stop doing that. It's something I need to let God work more fully on me. See, God offers us forgiveness. Jesus on the cross offers us forgiveness. He offers us healing. But he also calls us to repentance and obedience. So Jesus drops this bomb on us and then he carries on. Matthew 5, 23 to 24. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and notice what's the first word there? Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So Jesus has gone from this widely accepted command, right? You shall not murder. Okay, check. I shall not murder. And then he moves on and he says, not only shall you not murder, you shall not view your brother with contempt. You must not hate them. You must not treat them like garbage. But then he takes it even a step further. He says, not only that, not only are you, am I telling you the things you should not be doing, now you need to go and be reconciled to that person. We are called to reconciliation. Therefore, if you are offering your gift. God takes our anger, God takes our contempt very seriously and he puts it on par with murder. Therefore, we need to deal with it. Therefore, we must not allow it to grow when we must deal with what is happening. But one thing that's really compelling to me about that and is really intriguing to me about that is it says, therefore, if you know that your brother has something against you, Go and be reconciled to them. See, I'm thinking of it, my, my first read of it is more to read, okay, therefore, if you're ticked off at someone and you're coming to worship, stop worshiping in that moment and you need to go and deal with it. But that's not what it says. It says, therefore, if you know that someone has something against you, if you know your brother or your sister has something against you, you need to go and you need to deal with it. If your brother has contempt brewing in his heart, you must be reconciled. So we're actually called to stop worshiping and go and help that person to not sin. Now, again, that isn't, you know, I'm gonna go and John mentioned to me this morning, he's like, I had this dream that we were in this fight, which we're not. Um, You know, so it's like, should I then go to John and go, well, John, you need to stop sinning and you need to stop being mad at me. 
Absolutely. See, Donna said so, so absolutely. But it's not that. It's not like, hey, you need to go and tell the person they're wrong. It is, no, you need to be going reconciled with them. You need to help your brother and your sister because there's this disconnect that is between you. There is this striving that is between you that needs to be remedied, that needs to be fixed. People often think of Jesus as kind and meek and mild. And when he does get difficult, when he does push people really hard, it's those nasty Pharisees and those nasty Sadducees. But he didn't pull any punches in the Sermon on the Mount. And he challenges me directly and personally. Jeff Kempton, do you really believe that the Ten Commandments are eternal laws for all of God's people? And if so, then you need to do something about it. Now, I know that I've said this many times, especially over these past seven weeks, but that's because God keeps kind of putting it into my face. It's that God's law, including the Ten Commandments, is not about sin avoidance. God's law, including the Ten Commandments, is not about sin avoidance. It is about reflecting and glorifying God. It is about being changed from the inside and following him in faithful obedience. It's not enough to say you shall not murder someone either with our hands or with our heart. God is calling us not only just to kind of be reconciled, but God is calling us to love one another. God is calling us to take active steps to heal relationship. Well, after these tough verses, Jesus goes on and he starts talking about the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And as you could probably guess, it gets difficult. So next week, is it gonna be another awkward sermon? But if we jump beyond that, and he talks about some, some oaths and, and things and, and other um, sin that, that we will sometimes fall into, we circle back to the idea of hate. So let's jump now ahead to Matthew 5, 43 through 45. So what, we're about 20 verses or so um, past where we were before. Jesus said, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus is really making it hard here, right? He starts off with, okay, you think you're fine because you haven't murdered anyone? Guess what? When you carry hatred, when you carry contempt, you are murdering them in your heart. And then he says, not only that, not only am I saying, no, you cannot be angry, you cannot share this contempt with people in your heart, but you need to go fix what is broken with people. You need to go fix what is broken with your brother and with your sister. And then he says, not only that, now I'm gonna tell you, you need to love your enemies because even your enemy is created in the image of God. Even the person who irritates me to no end is known and created and loved by God. Even the most flawed human beings are masterpieces of God, and God is calling me to love them even when it's difficult, to pray for them and to bless them, because that is what children of God do. It said, then, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. It is what Christians do. We don't do it very faithfully a lot of the time, but it is what we are called to do because we are created in the image of God and we are saved by his grace. 
Let's think about some of the worst moments in history, some of the worst, most awful, wretched things that people have ever done, and kind of three of them that really pop up. One is the Atlantic slave trade, another is the Nazi Holocaust, and another is Stalin's reign of terror. And you look at all these genocides, you look at all these awful things that have happened throughout history. And the common tie that they share, the reason why people were able to convince whole societies, whole cultures, that yes, this is what we need to do, the thing that you do is you dehumanize people. You take away their value as a human being. You are less valuable. You're not even a full human. That is just a slave. That is just a Jew. That is just a gypsy. That is just this. That is just that. And you are in the way of our regime. You are in the way of this greater good that we are trying to accomplish. You had leaders who were able to convince others that some lives are disposable. And that continues to happen. But God's word tells us something very different. And God calls us to live in a very different way. When Cain was confronted by God after he had killed his brother, and God says, hey, where, where's your brother? What happened to him? Well, Cain asks this, well, first he says, I don't know, and then he, he asks this, what he thought was a rhetorical question, you know, what, am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to keep track of where he is? Now, God then goes on to just bring the hammer down on him and go, yeah, you're guilty, but the, but the unanswered question there, the, I guess, rhetorical answer that God would give there, that we, are so, that we shall be given there, when he says, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is, yes, I am. God didn't just call us to not end life. God called us to preserve life. God calls us to protect life. God calls us to give life. It is what followers of Jesus do. It is what Jesus did. It is what Jesus does. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. And if Jesus really meant what he said, which I believe that he does, the next question is, am I my enemy's keeper? And the answer is, yes, I am. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Let's pray. Father, I don't want to pray for my enemies. I don't want to love my enemies. I don't want to pray for those who persecute me. I don't want to pray for those people who I think are just mean and nasty and awful human beings. But Lord, those are people created in your image. Those are people you love. And Lord, you have called me, you have called us to pray for those difficult people. Lord, you've called us to reconciliation. You've called us to put away, to get rid of, to destroy contempt and hatred in our hearts. Lord, I confess that that is very difficult. Lord, help me today. Help us today. As we come across people who are hard to love, as we come across people who are hard to like, as we come across people who are difficult and nearly impossible to tolerate, Lord, help us to love them in your name. Help us to pray for those who persecute us. Father, forgive me. Father, help us to take your 10 commandments seriously and not just put them on some monument somewhere and forget about them. 
but to believe them, to live them, because we believe you. Thank you for your commandments, Lord. Thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, thank you for the fact that when I was still your enemy, you gave your life for me. Thank you for your amazing grace. Lord, help us to pray. Help us to trust you. Help us to love in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.